Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right. Good evening, everybody. And once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. Uh, I appreciate you guys tuning in live uh, every Thursday and listening to the program. And of course, we are live from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And it's hard to believe, but we are in November. I don't know where we were just talking off air, uh, the gang from the Coach's Corner panel. And I don't know where time is going, but here we are. We're coming close to the holidays uh, Thanksgiving is just around the corner, and then, of course, Christmas uh, and Hanukkah and every other uh, holiday that you want to celebrate through this time of year uh, is just a hop, skip, and a jump away from that. So I don't know where it's going, but uh, let's enjoy it while it's here. Um, all right, I've got a great show for you tonight. Uh, as I mentioned, we've got uh, Coach's Corner going to be kicking things off here. I'll introduce the panel here in just a second. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by my very special guest this evening, Taylor Herber. He is the VP of Sales for Blue Tees Golf, and we're going to talk about some of the stuff that they've got going. And they've got some specials, uh, as I noted, on their website uh, for Black Friday coming up. We'll talk about that when uh, Taylor comes on the show. But let me introduce the panel tonight. First up is Brandon Stukesbury. He's the head golf professional at the historic uh, Metairie Country Club outside New Orleans. Uh, he's an Amazon number one best-selling author of two books, The Wedge Book and The Putter Book. And for the last 10-plus uh, years, he's been ranked among top 10 teachers in his state by Golf Digest and was part of the magazine's elite best young teachers list. Uh, he's three-time uh, PGA Teacher of the Year and a regular contributor in golf media around the world, plus a Golf Tips Magazine top 25 instructor. Also rounding out uh, the panel is Jamie Leno Zimron. She's a Class A LPGA teacher professional. She's also a sixth-degree Aikido black belt, uh, somatic uh, psychologist, corporate speaker, and mind-body fitness trainer. And she graduated Phi Beta Kappa from Stanford University, and she's the creator of Kiai Golf, The Centered Way. And last but not least, uh, my good buddy Pete Buchanan. He is the founder, director of instruction, and owner of Plain Simple Golf LLC, which, of course, houses the Plain Simple Golf Circuit and the swing, uh, Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace. And he's been uh, helping golfers focus on building a repeatable swing, and he's been teaching this great game of golf for over 30 years. So, guys, welcome uh, to Coach's Corner panel. Thanks, Ted. Good to be here. Thanks, Ted. Great company. Thanks as always, Ted. Looking forward to it. All right. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, since we're getting close, as I was mentioning to all of you off air, um, we're going to start off with um, being that, you know, we've only got a couple of shows for you guys uh, this tonight, and then I think one more uh, that you guys will be coming back in December. So we're going to kind of end things a little bit light, but I want to have 
you know, a little bit of fun with it. And I think for, you know, for a lot of our golfers out there, there's a lot of new golfers that have come in over the last couple of years uh, through this pandemic. And I think, uh, you know, Brandon, I want to start with you. And we're going to talk about, you know, obviously a lot of people have made the decision to play the game. And I think one of the uh, areas that we really, um, as, a, as a newer player, need to focus on is equipment. And I want to split this up. I don't want to do so much a generic uh, discussion, but I want to split things up um, when looking for equipment. So, for an example, a new player to the game, uh, they don't necessarily have to go out and spend a lot of money buying uh, new equipment um, per se, uh, but they do need to make sure whatever equipment they have, whether it's a hand-me-down, whether it's some used equipment that they've purchased somewhere, that they do need to make sure that it's fitted properly for them. And particularly, I know that you like to specialize in the short game. I know you cover all of it, but I would really like you to answer this and, and explain for the listeners, because this is something that a lot of people ask is about the wedges in their golf bag. Um, how many uh, do they really need um, for, let's say, a, a, a new player, maybe a higher handicap player, and maybe a more advanced player um, that may want to have additional wedges? What should they have in the bag as far as wedges are concerned? Well, that's a great question. I, I, I think you're right. It is often misunderstood uh, or, frankly, not paid attention to sometimes in our industry. Um, and so I'm, I'll answer that question in two ways. If you take if you take the rank beginner, meaning someone that is brand new to the game, which we've had a lot of those come in, you know, during the pandemic as well, um, they don't need, frankly, a whole lot of clubs all the way around. Um, and, and really until you get to the point to where you're hitting it reasonably solid, a reasonable percentage of the time you're swinging at it, and you have a reasonable amount of club head speed, uh, you're not really going to get the benefit of multiple clubs, meaning your 6-iron, 7-iron, and 8-iron might all three go the same yardage because you're not generating mm-hmm. enough speed in the beginning to get enough ball speed coming off the face to get the advantage of the less loft and longer shaft length, et cetera, et cetera. The same thing kind of happens with wedges. And so the benefits that come from having multiple wedges really are lost on you until most of your short game shots you're able to hit reasonably solid. So in the beginning, I would say go with something right down the middle of the road, a 56-degree wedge um, with some sort of middle kind of bounce, 10, maybe 12 degrees of bounce. Um, something kind of right down the middle and safe. As you continue to get better, as your skills improve, um, I am a big fan of more wedges as opposed to less wedges. And briefly, I'll explain why. If I, if I stood you in the middle of the fairway and you were 30 yards from a hole, the ball had to carry roughly 20 yards and then it could roll roughly 10, I could stand you there and I could give you one swing to make and four different wedges, and you're going to get four different ball flights with one swing. Mm -hmm. If you only had two wedges, then that would mean you'd have two ball flights, and then you'd have to do something to manufacture the other two with the wedges that you have. Now, look, lots of people play that way, but from a skill standpoint, that takes a lot higher level of skill development to, quote, unquote, manufacture shots. So I'm generally more in favor of more wedges as opposed to fewer. 
Um, especially given that clubs these days are getting stronger and stronger lofted, which is creating sort of this odd gap between your pitching wedge and what used to be a sand wedge or even a gap wedge. And so that's, that's making it a little bit more challenging. Um, but most people, frankly, can't get the benefit out of the longer irons on the upper end of the set anyway, so they probably should have some room. And if they have room, I'm much more of a fan of a minimum of three wedges. That might be a pitching wedge, a sand wedge, a lob wedge, or even four might be a pitching wedge, gap wedge, sand wedge, lob wedge. Hopefully that answers your question succinctly without uh, spending too much time. Yeah, no, that's perfect. And, and, I, and I agree 100%. I think for the, the, the less skilled player, I, I agree. I mean, you know, Tom Kite many years ago, you know, was one of the early uh, pioneers, if you will, of having extra wedges in the bag. And shortly afterwards, we started seeing a lot of other players adopt that same philosophy. But the key emphasis was that they were all tour players that were doing it. Uh, a lot of amateurs tried to follow suit. But as you pointed out very eloquently, you know, for somebody that can't really generate a lot of club head speed, they're not going to get the benefit of those additional wedges at that point. And as they progress, then, you know, they can add one or two or uh, three extra wedges in the bag as it becomes appropriate. But I like your, you know, your demonstration of the four wedges because you're exactly right. I think that, you know, even though it's still the same distance, there might be uh, other factors involved. It might be uh, windier, so you might need to get that ball flight a little bit lower. Uh, and trying to finesse or finagle one wedge for four different shots uh, is a lot tougher than having one swing and four different wedges. So I, I like your answer. I think it was great. Jamie, I'm going to move on to you. Um, Ted, and Ted, I want to Ted, hang stop, on sorry. one second. Hang on. I'm sorry. Yep. I just need to add one quick thing. Um, you mentioned tour players, and I just want to tell the listeners, you sort of have to be careful when you watch the tour players because the tour players, most of them use fewer wedges as opposed to more. And so a lot of times mm -hmm. when I'm telling this, especially in larger groups or giving seminars, someone always asks that question, well, wait a minute, how come he, he being, you know, a successful tour player, uses sand wedge everywhere, or Jack Nicholas is a great example. And that answer is very right. simple. Two, well, it's two parts. Number one, they can. They're a tour player. They can do whatever they want. They're the highly, most highly skilled athletes on the planet with a wedge in their hand, so they can do whatever they want, right? Number two, their conditions are very different than ours are, right? And so their ability to spin and control the ball is at, much, at a much higher level, and the conditions they're playing on are – considerably firmer, most of the time they don't need the other wedges to the conditions that they play in that we might as amateurs going out and playing at our public golf course or at our local club. So just keep that in mind. Tour players sometimes aren't the best model. Right. Uh, well said. Um, Jamie, I want to come to you. And, again, I want to stick on equipment. I'm going to spin things a little bit differently for you on this here. And, and again, obviously, you know, we can factor in uh, a less accomplished player and then a more skilled player uh, in your examples. But for a less skilled player, there's a lot of different options. A again, depending on the level um, of, of entrance into the game, it may not necessarily be appropriate for them to go out and spend a lot of money buying a, a whole complete new set. Uh, and there may be uh, even though typically 14 clubs in the bag is, is what's uh, you know, standard for, uh, and what's legal, obviously, in, in tournament play, um, but may not, again, be appropriate or necessary for some of our less skilled players to have to have all 14 clubs in the bag. So maybe you could kind of give us a general overview of what you try to encourage 
some of the newer players coming in, again, maybe a higher handicap, uh, and you may not know what their handicap is early on, but a less skilled player, and then maybe some of the adjustments that you might recommend for a more highly skilled player uh, when they're putting that set together? I would say, Ted, for newer players, a big consideration is their irons and their hybrids and woods. You know, obvious, obviously we need to have a driver and a putter in the bag. And um, mm-hmm. as we were just starting to talk about um, – you know, the question of wedges and how many wedges to carry. But um, I would say that um, in terms of the irons, that's something to really look at. And for newer players, uh, it's really, or or, or higher handicap players, it's really seeming that they do better with um, sort of the hybrid clubs from six iron up, um, even a five iron. Um, I've seen some even start at seven iron. So, you know, those clubs are a little bit easier to hit. And they're more forgiving. They're easier to hit. And so I I see no problem with newer players or higher handicap players using clubs where, you know, maybe they start uh, with a couple fairway-type hybrids that are maybe down to a, a the equivalent of a three or four iron. Um, but then, you know, go with just, – just go with the hybrids, you know, um, pretty much. And then, you know, of course, have your at least – eight, nine iron wedges, a couple of wedges. And the wedges are an issue that I think people need to, each player needs to kind of come to themselves and play with it. Um, So what I mean by that is, you know, should you have like a a 54 or a 56 or a 60 or, you know, or or a 58, you know, maybe a 54 and a 58, or do you need a 56 and a 60 and, you know, these kinds of things or 52 and a 54. So, you know, I think you, it, it really helps to find out if people like to do bump and run shots, how they're doing with a bit more of a pitch shot or even a kind of a flop shot, something that's going up in the air and landing on the green. Um, and, of course, you know, newer players tend to like to just, you know, drop the ball on the green, let it run some, a little bit harder for them to learn the, that little pop flop, uh, pop shot. But, um, you know, and and some people like to, for example, learn to, uh, play with the club face a little bit so that maybe they'll carry, you know, um, two wedges or instead of three, for example, because they know how to play with this one club that they really somehow like the look and feel of. So I think these are really individual determinations. It really helps to work with your player mm-hmm. on that. Um, but those are the kinds of things I think you need to look at. You know, and is a person comfortable with an iron at five iron, or are they more comfortable with a kind of more hybrid kind of five iron club? Um, and then in terms of fairway woods, you know, some people really have a lot of trouble with a three wood. Sometimes I'll steer them to a four wood or even a five wood, and and that's fine. And then they can get into their hybrid kind of iron, uh, hybrid irons. So again, I think it's really individual and. So many people I've noticed just have their individual preference, what looks good, what feels mm-hmm. good. And I think that that's the most important thing because you want you want your player to have confidence with that club in their hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think the other thing, Jamie, too, is, you know, for the, the more skilled player uh, typically tends to, uh, or at least for, for many years, has been more of a blade uh, when it comes to their irons, mm-hmm. exactly. um, because yep. they're able to to work the ball much better, even though the ball doesn't work quite as well as it used to be, uh, in some respects. Um, but and I think there's a lot of more forgiving uh, irons and and hybrids and things out there on the market. 
Um, and for the better player, you know, obviously they're going to be more in tune of, of what they knew, uh, need and what they can hit. But I yeah. also, a lot of times, I've seen some better players that will go out and try to buy themselves some extra strokes by spending more money uh, on equipment. And that's not always necessarily the smartest thing either. I mean, I think it's more about the fitting. Would you agree that, um, you know, you could go out and spend $1,000, let's say, on, on new equipment as opposed to, say, two or $3,000 and if you're better fitted with the thousand than you are the three thousand dollar set of clubs, you're more than likely going to have more success out in the golf course. Would you agree with that? Well, fitting is the primary thing, right? That is just absolutely mm-hmm. essential. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, we have this idea, of course, that more expensive somehow means better, and that isn't necessarily right. true. Like you say, if it's not fit, lie angle, length, um, you know, shafts, all this sort of thing. Um, it, and again, I think that the look and feel of the club is really important. And I also think mm-hmm. that it's important to get the ego out of the way, particularly mm-hmm. with better players <laughs> and actually with with male players, if I may say so. Um, I, I find women they just they just want to hit it well and feel happy and like they're getting good distance, they're getting consistency, feel sweet, they know what they're doing. They're starting to get the real differentiation. Uh, this is newer players, uh, better players know that the differentiation in their distances and they know what their distances are with each club. That's important. And then, of course, with better players, that's, that's important. But not to have the ego in the way like, you know, you're embarrassed because you have a, a four-iron hybrid instead of a four-iron blade. Like, why have an ego right. there? Um, and as it yep. happens, I think it's been – so one thing that I think has been kind of nice to see with tour players, both on PGA and LPGA Tour, the men and the women, is that their ego has been kind of disappearing. They'd rather have, a, <laughs> uh, have clubs that are feeling good to them and that are working. So, you know, they've got a hybrid or two in their bag now. It's not like a, um, some kind of shame for even a tour player, right? Um, so I think that we have to take our cues from that, get our egos out of the way, and really find clubs that are fit well for us, that we feel confident and comfortable with, that we feel repeatable with, and that are fit well for us, then we're going to have success. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And the visual component is, is I think, just as important as the fitting, because if you don't like the look of the equipment, because there are so many different styles in that, uh, it, it, can, it can really play on your psyche a little bit. Um, Pete, I'm going to come to you with, with one final uh, scenario with equipment here, and I know you're probably thinking how how much more can we talk about equipment that well, hasn't already been answered, but believe me, you're going to understand in a moment. I want to talk about the grip, and there's a couple of things, uh, scenarios that I want to pitch out here. And the first one, obviously, maybe you can generally give us an overview of the importance of the grip. Um, you know, maybe, uh, again, how often should we be changing those grips, uh, depending on the level of play? And then I've got another question I'm going to ask you or, or a scenario I'm going to give you, and I'd like to get your feedback on that. So maybe you could give us a general overview of the grip, because that's an area, believe it or not, even with fittings, we get everything fit up in that, and people seem to forget about the grip. And I've seen some people come out for lessons, and, I mean, you know, if you were able to unravel all of their grips and lay it out, you could probably um, skate on it. They're so slick and so, uh, you know, smooth. So... Give us an overview of the grip, and then I'm going to come back. I've got a follow-up question for you. Well, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. You've got to have grips that, that you can hold on to, obviously. Um, those that play a lot, you know, they might want to change them, you know, halfway through the season. Um, if they don't play a lot, they change them every season. Um, if your clubs sit through the winter, I'd re-grip them the next spring when you come out. 
Um, you know, just sitting and doing nothing in the bottom of a bag is not always really good for, for golf grips, and so they can they can break down a little bit. So, you know, you always want to start a new season off with grips that uh, you can hold on to. So, and, you know, it's not very expensive to do. So, you know, I, I would always recommend that the grips be new and the grips be the right size. Um, that's important, mm-hmm. too, so they fit into your hands. And, and the size can also be based on the, the, the shot shape you're trying to hit or trying to avoid. I mean, you can you can change the size of the grip depending on what ball flight you're looking at. Um, you know, and uh, do you want me to stick just with the grip itself? Or you want me to talk about the, the actual grip you hold onto the club with? Are you want to advance into that, or just stay with the grips on the club? With, with the grips on the club for the for the time being. Yeah. Um, yeah. What what I want to ask, what I want to throw out there though, uh, real quick is you mentioned about the different sizes. You know, we have our typical standard size grips that we uh, often get uh, when you purchase a a set of clubs if you don't make any changes. And for most people, they tend to be pretty thin, uh, especially for somebody like myself that has, you know, pretty decent-sized hands. Um, And then, obviously, you have a mid-size and then an oversized grip. So, obviously, again, it goes to Jamie's point. It's a comfort thing as well. I mean, it's not just the looks, but it's also the feel. But I want to ask you this scenario. Um, obviously we have different players, um, some who have very quick hands, some that turn their hands over very quickly and others that maybe not so much. Is the grip important to help combat some of that? I'll give you an example. If you've got somebody that, let's say, uh, typically turns their hands over very quickly, either hits a draw or even a hook uh, many times, um, and maybe is using a standard grip, would it be prudent to have them maybe step up, again, assuming that the, the grip is going to fit properly in their hands, to maybe a mid or even an oversize in some cases? And what about the reverse, somebody that maybe doesn't have uh, quick hands uh, and is not easily able to turn over if they're playing a larger grip? Does it work in the opposite, that maybe if they go to a smaller grip, a little thinner grip, it's going to help alleviate some of that? Or maybe we should forget that altogether and just do something different. I want to get your thoughts on that. No, that's a great point. Um, the grip size can definitely be something that can help with the ball flight. Those that tend to have very fast hands or quick hands that tend to close the face, the larger you get the grip, the more out of the fingers and into the palm it will sit, and therefore it will slow the hands down. And so, therefore, you're mm-hmm. going to be able to get the club face a little bit more open, and it works in the opposite direction. If you have somebody who has too large of a size of a grip, it gets up into the palm, they can't get it into their fingers, it's going to slow the hands down, and if they already sliced, they're going to be worse than that if they have the face open. So you can thin the grip down. It'll fit more into their fingers. It'll make the hands more active, and that'll help them to close the face up. So grip size is, is definitely a, a big piece that you need to look at when you're fitting golf clubs, for sure. Yeah, and, and, and the reason why I ask that is because I've played at, at various uh, types of grips, and I've used different uh, thicknesses and so forth, and I've myself, and I'm a pretty decent player, um, even to this day. And you know, I've noticed, uh, you know, obviously with this, with a, a little thinner grip, and that my hands are are turning over a little quicker than I'd like sometimes. So I tend to play uh, a little bit of a mid to oversized uh, grip uh, range uh, because it just seems to fit comfortably in my hands. And then, obviously, I'm finding I'm, I'm striking the ball much better. So, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, don't think about that. And when they're getting fitted, you know, it's not just about um, how it fits in the hand, but also the type of player they are has to be factored in as well. Would you agree with that, Pete? No question. Oh, no question at all. And, you know, you talk about comfort. You know, 
yeah, the grip size change can be a, a little bit different when they do that, but I've always found when they hit it straighter, that comfort zone changes in a hurry. It doesn't take long. Yeah. You know, those grips will feel really good when they start hitting it better. So, but yeah, there's definitely a change. I, I have, I don't have very large hands, but I play an oversized grip because I don't like any shot going left. So I use the grip size right. to keep the face open. So it definitely is, right. you know, something that is, I pick up the, you know, some of my juniors and I pick up theirs and, I can hook those really easy because the grips are so small and my hands can be very yep. active, but I don't, that's not something I want to do personally for me. So yeah, definitely the grip size is something you can use to, to help with the ball flight. And one more thing, just to, to pick up on something you were, you were going to say a little while ago uh, and then we, we continued on and that was the actual grip itself, not the grips that are attached at the end of the club, but the actual gripping of the club. There's a lot of different ways of doing that. That can also help, uh, maybe some folks that are struggling a little bit. Maybe you could just, again, touch a little bit on that, the different ways we actually grip the club that can be beneficial for maybe somebody that has difficulty, uh, you know, especially earlier on in their, uh, in their learning stages of, of the game. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, you want to make sure that, for the most part, the grip gets down in your fingers, um, and the fingers of both hands. And the hands, when they get on there, are facing each other. And you want to make sure that the hands are snug up against each other. You don't want to split them apart. Um, being in St. Louis, I get a lot of these juniors, and they play hockey. So you can imagine how they grip the golf clubs. So I'm always trying to right. get their hands back together because they want to split them apart. But, you know, it's important not only where it fits in your hands, but also the angle to which you set them on the handle. The more to the right you set them, the more you can close the face. The more to the left you set them, the more it'll open so you can use the, not only the style but the angle at the position of the hands on the grip at address to steer the golf ball in one direction or the other. So, yeah, the grip is, you know, to me, it's, it's one of the biggest functions because it's, the, you know, it's what you hold on to, and it's, its function is to control the club face. And so it has a very important yeah, role. So not only do – yeah, go ahead. All I was going to say is you're exactly right, and that's – as I said in the very beginning uh, when I had you address this, this is an area that a lot of golfers, when it comes to equipment, really overlook. Obviously, more seasoned players that play uh, with some frequency, they know to change their grips. They know to, to make sure they're using the right size grip for them. Uh, but a lot of our novice players really don't know. They don't really understand uh, the equipment. They just think, okay, well, it's a 7 iron. You know, what's the difference between this one and that one? And they don't really understand some of the intricacies. And I think it's important that if you want to get out and learn this game, it's like anything. It's like, you know, if you want to screw a, a screw into the wall, you use a screwdriver. You don't use a hammer. Um, po uh, posingly, if it's a nail, well, then you can use the hammer. But So I think people having a better understanding of what the equipment does and how it works and how it can be fitted properly for you to get the most uh, advantage out of it. So um, I think you answered everything I needed, uh, and hopefully the listeners that are tuning in, uh, you get a, a general understanding of that as well. Great, uh, great discussion, guys, on equipment. Uh, Brandon, I'm going to come back to you, and and this is a little bit different. Uh, we're going to talk about learning the rules. Um, there's a lot of rules in golf, uh, and I know some people hate rules. They want to be a little bit more flexible. And I think there is some room for flexibility for our beginning golfers um, that maybe are obviously not playing in tournaments, uh, things like that. We can be a little bit more flexible. But if you were to sort of boil it down, if you were to take the rule book and boil it down, in its simplest form, what are some of the rules that the average player really needs to, to understand that's going to better help them navigate around the course? What are your thoughts? 
Well, that's a, a loaded question, Ted. Uh, it's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there. I, you know, I, I think if you – there are lots of guides and things out there. You know, you could sit down and, and, and search on Google, you know, most, most needed golf rules. I mean, you know, Golf Digest has done some things like that in the past where they attend most important rules. But, look, I, I think if you boiled it down, you know, what to do if you hit it out of bounds – what to do if you hit it in a hazard. I don't call them hazards anymore in a penalty area. Um, how that penalty area differs if it's marked red versus yellow. Um, you know, how, how to how to mark your golf ball on a green, how to replace it on a green. I mean, those aren't really rules. Those are more procedures. But, but you know, the, the things that you're going to run into every single time that you play the round of golf um, – I think are probably the ones that that are the most important. The ones that you know the, the the rules that aren't necessarily penalties if you break them, but are more etiquette related. Where to stand, who goes first, how to determine when you putt and what order you putt. I mean, you know, you're not mm-hmm. going to lose a stroke if you if you putt out of order or stand in the wrong place. Um, but it tends to make people that aren't new to the game uncomfortable. Um, if you don't do those things, how to keep pace. Again, that's not a rule that you're going to be penalized if you break, but it's certainly a, a piece of etiquette that I think is important for any new golfer, you know, to learn. Um, and, and so those are the things that I think are, are probably important to keep in mind. Much like you said in the very beginning, I, I am way less concerned. I'm going to see if I can say this in a way that doesn't get me barbecued by the listeners I'm way less concerned about us keeping rules and way more concerned with us having fun when we play, playing quickly, um, and enjoying it. And and so, you know, I I think the rules are important. Please don't misunderstand that statement. Um, But but I think first we are to approach the rules in a way that help us enjoy the game more, be more comfortable around other people that enjoy the game and are longtime players of the game so that we can keep pace and that we don't, you know, end up putting ourselves in a situation where we feel embarrassed because we just didn't understand the etiquette or the flow of the game that someone that's more seasoned might. And so that's kind of how I would, would approach that. Yeah, and I think that's important. And, again, as I prefaced in the beginning, I think for, for players – who are, are going to get more involved in golf and certainly going to be playing in tournaments, they obviously have, have a much better understanding of the rules of, of et, not just the etiquette, but the actual rules of play. Otherwise, they're going to get penalized and, and that might actually be disqualified from the tournament altogether. But I think for, as you put it, having fun for uh, new players and beginners, I think some general rules, uh, etiquette obviously is, is a big one, um, what to do when, you know, if you hit it out of bounds, a lot of people that have never played before uh, don't even know what a provisional ball is. So there's a few generic rules, I think, and, and, and parts of etiquette that quite often when you get a new player coming to the course saying, well, I don't know what to do or, or how do I do it, you know, it's really more of a guide and helping you navigate around the course. And there's some of the rules that actually can help you take advantage of situations, again, uh, that can actually, in the end, save you strokes if you know what to do under certain circumstances. So you don't have to sit and and, and go, because it is a a pretty thick little book uh, with a lot of different rules. 
Uh, again, unless you're playing at a high level, uh, I don't think you have to go crazy and know every single rule, but it is a good idea to pick up a rule book and look through and, and get yourself generally familiarized with uh, some of the things there. Um, I, I'm going to pass on this uh, for you, Jamie, because I think, you know, again, it's fairly uh, generic um, on how we uh, handle that. But I want to talk about Im- with you uh, improving your game. Uh, there's a lot of different aspects of it, uh, everything from lessons to uh, reading material, maybe reading books. Uh, certainly, uh, you can uh, indulge with some, some good video, good solid video instruction by qualified instructors that you can do. There's a lot of different ways. Um, again, taking um, maybe a, a more novice player, uh, getting them started, um, what are some things that maybe you like to do, recommend? Is there some uh, books out there that you might recommend, might make for a good read to help them understand a little bit more about the game? And again, that could help them to uh, comprehend some of the things that they're going to be faced with out there. Uh, and then also as far as instruction, what do you typically uh, recommend for somebody that's just coming into the game uh, if they want to improve? What are some things that you're going to recommend to them? Well, that's a really big question. <laughs> I know. There is so much information. I know. Yeah. You know, I know. There is so much information water, out there. water it down, Jamie. Just, just water it down a little yeah. bit. You know what I mean. But I, I'm just trying to, yeah, I'm just trying to give you some general sure, things. No, you can no. pick any one or – go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the first thing I would say is that golf is one thing where, where I think a person really needs some lessons, um, particularly – in the beginning. I think it's really important to get off to a good start. And a lot of people say, you know, golf isn't quite as natural as other sports because we're just standing there, right? We're not running around. And, uh, you know, there are definitely some skills that need to be learned. Um, You know that my approach has kind of a martial arts background to it, meaning Mm -hmm. I'm not so into just sort of a one-off lesson here and there, and particularly for beginners. I think it's important to approach this as training <laughs> so that there is a, a consistency and a, co- a coherency and a, co- and a consistency to learning the game because there are a lot of basics to learn. I think uh, having some fitness, having the proper connection to your lower body, to your center, and then the connection from the lower to the upper body, having flexibility, having strength in the legs, understanding um, what we call an athletic stance or, you know, some some power in the base and understanding how that works um, so that, you know, you have some strength and presence in your legs, understanding the grip, getting the fundamentals, which I call PGA, posture grip alignment, and LPGA, love your posture grip alignment, so that you feel comfortable, that you're setting up for success, and then understanding the three elements of the swing, which is the backswing, downswing impact, the square uh, face impact, and then follow through. Um, I like to start with the uh, the short shots, putting and short shots. This is the way that uh, many people, even Tiger Woods, learned to play golf, which was from green to tee, not from tee to green. Most people want to just get out there, take a big swing, try to hit their driver, and then kind of get, you know, whittled down. But I always say we didn't. nobody popped out of the woman adult, which to me is like a driver swing. We start out mm-hmm. small, right, when we have to learn to walk and talk, and then we can run, and then we can, you know, do all sorts of things. So I think it's important to learn just the basics of the target line, the hitting zone, back, uh, you know, a little back, match that up to the follow-through, and then uh, square uh, club face at impact, you know, some of these kinds of basics and really getting that uh, through to people. 
and uh, and understanding what they're really trying to do in the golf swing and you know getting a putting stroke a little uh, chip shots um, some shots from 100 yards in to me it's what I call the micro to macrocosmic way to learn <laughs> get the the micro down and get some solid impact get comfortable with your with your fundamentals and then you can just you know, add on the longer clubs, right? Um, to me, that's like getting to high school and college and then becoming a full-fledged adult. Yay, if we can hit a driver. So I like to take a systematic approach and get people comfortable. Um, and I think it's important not to just jump around. Uh, it's fine to go, okay, here's putting, here's short game, here's mid-range game, here's the long game and, and a driver. Understand those elements and um, mm-hmm. and and then – you know, you can work on each one, but consciously not jumping around and around and on a, on a solid foundation. So that's, you know, very much my approach, and I find that that's true in learning to do anything. Um, and if you can get those fundamentals down and you are really, again, from that sort of martial arts mastery, self-mastery point of view, present in your body, you know how to use your body, you know the order of movement, and you're not just kind of swinging at it with your arms or any way you can try to kind of hit it. <laughs> You need to understand balance, right. center, evenness, all this sort of thing. So, you know, that's really my approach. And um, for me, I think, uh, you know, any kind of instruction, uh, uh, any kind of instruction that emphasizes some of the lower body and the core and not simply an arm swing, I think is really important. Uh, Jack Nicholas himself, I always say this, said that golf play between the arches of your feet. Um, so understanding the feet up to the knees and hips and then up to the shoulders and hands, all this sort of thing. So that's, that's really my approach. Um, one other thing I would say is, again, I'm not a big fan of a one-off lesson. Uh, perhaps if you're a better player and you just have a question about something, that's one thing. I'm also not a fan of the tweak method, <laughs> which is, mm, yeah. uh, you know, kind of <laughs> do this, do that, fix this, oh, add a little here. The golf swing, you know, the hole is greater than some of its parts. So we have to have an opportunity to just kind of get the the natural swing and and understand how you know uh, how to throw a ball, how to move a ball forward, how the body works for that, and then get some details. And so it's back and forth between the details and the full swing, you know, just that easy swing motion. Um, yeah, so that's what I would say. Yep. Again, coherency is important and consistency with also a a clarity around the need for practice. You're not going to get anywhere unless you practice. Well said. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And, um, you, you know, we see so many players, uh, especially new players to the game, um, number one, don't practice as much as they should. And they focus on trying to hit the ball um, and not really focusing on uh, getting the swing down. And, and really, you know, my father used to tell me growing up as a kid, he said, you know, once you learn how to swing, it's a matter of the ball getting in the way. Um, and, you know, so many people focus on the opposite. It's trying to perfect everything and trying to hit the golf ball and not really just learning to swing and, and getting that nice fluid moment uh, movement. Excuse me, um, Pete, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to get you to talk a, a little bit about um, another area that, uh, you know, we, we talked earlier about the grip. Um, but another area uh, in golf that a lot of people miss the boat, and understandably so because there's a thousand different brands and types and whatnot on the market, uh, but is the golf ball. Um, so many people, um, you know, we all have maybe our favorite uh, manufacturer or brand of golf ball, um, but 
that's a decision, too, that really needs to be um, looked at very carefully, especially for some of our newer golfers that don't maybe generate as much club head speed. Um, maybe playing a Pro V1 uh, is not maybe the best uh, golf ball that they should be playing with. Maybe you can kind of give us some examples of what they should be looking for at what stages of their game. Well, that's pardon me. That's a loaded question as well. But you know, we'll, uh, we'll tackle through this one. <laughs> I'm full. Um, I'm full of them tonight, guys. So <laughs> yeah, you're full of it tonight, Ted. That's for sure. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, basically, I I approach golf balls two different ways. Do you want it to spin more, or do you want it to go further? Which do you want? So if you want it to spin more, you're going to have to get a ball that's a little bit softer, one that's going to you know react on the face a little bit more. But you also have to remember if you've already curved the ball a lot taking a ball that spins more is going to curve it more. So you have to be careful, you know, getting a ball that spins too much. Um, you know, the beginning players, I'd like to get them a ball that's going to last a long time. They don't have to worry about spin right now. Uh, get something that's, you know, a little bit harder. And it's not going to, you know, the compression thing is, you know, we hardly even talk about that anymore with everything that's been going on with, you know, we did an experiment at one time and the harder the ball was, the further it went. It didn't matter what the speed was. Um, and so, you know, you're looking for a golf ball that's going to last a little bit longer, one that's uh, probably not going to spin as much. You know, the newer players need it to go further. They don't need it to stop quicker. They need it to go further. And so you're looking at different brands of, you know, ones that will give you, you know, uh, a little bit more distance, a little bit more uh, life to the golf ball. Um, yeah, Pro V1s for the new players, you know, they're expensive and they spin a lot, and you really don't want to look for those for, for those players. Um, if you're looking for a ball that's, you know, fairly economical, one that uh, is, you know, built for distance because that means it's going to last a little bit longer and it's going to spin a little bit less. Um, and so that's really how I approach it. You know, what are you, what are you trying to do with your golf ball? Um, you know, and, and, and that's, a, that's a loaded question as well because you'll get a lot of players who say, well, can you teach me how to spin it backwards? And, well, there's a lot to that. Uh, you have to have the right ball, yeah. the right conditions, and you have to have the right impact, which most of them don't have. And so they don't have an impact necessary that's really going to spin the ball enough to get it to back up. And in most cases, I'll tease them a little bit. I said, well, you don't hit it far enough forward, so why do you want it to go backwards? So let's work on getting it going forward. So, you know, that's a, that's a tough one because, you know, the golf balls are built a little bit more for spin, but you've got to have some, some pretty good contact on those to get them to spin like they see on TV. And, you know, those guys are, and gals, you know, they – They've got the impact to make it happen. So really, to me, it's, it's, well, uh, I'm not looking at different brands or anything, but just kind of what you're trying to do with the ball. Spin it more or, or you know, make it go farther and last longer. Well, and, and the level of uh, some great uh, points, and, and you're exactly right. I think that there's uh, a number of factors, and it's like anything. You know, when you're out purchasing something, uh, you know, it's nice to, to – to play something that everybody else is playing, but if it may not fit your game, you know, if you're somebody that's barely swinging at, you know, uh, 80 miles an hour um, club head speed and, you know, you're trying to play a ball that somebody that, that swings at 110 or 115 um, club head speed, uh, you know, you're not necessarily the, the same ball is not necessarily going to give you the same benefit as does that individual. So, you know, club head speed uh, is a factor, and also the the consistency uh, that you're hitting your clubs. If you're not hitting your irons very uh, crisp and solid, then having a, cl- a ball that spins a little bit more and, and stops on the green is really kind of irrelevant 
because you're not really making solid contact. So you want to play, right. you know, I think for, for, the, for the newer players, you want to play a ball that is going to be more forgiving uh, and is obviously yes. going to give you the most distance as possible given uh, your level of play. And then as you, again, develop, if you want to move and transition to something different, that's fine. But, uh, you know, to go out and spend, you know, 40 to $60 on a dozen golf balls that you're more than likely going to lose most of them, uh, the only thing you're going to be doing in the clubhouse is crying that you lost $60 <laughs> worth of golf balls. So, you know, go out and spend a little bit less money. But that's a, my, my point is, and the reason why I bring that up, is you'd be surprised at how many people, and I know you, you, all three of you have seen this, how many people will be going out and playing a top-brand golf ball, and they just don't really have the game. And they say, well, what difference does it make? Well, there is, as you pointed out, and I'm sure there's many other factors as well, um, when it comes to selecting a golf ball that need to be considered. And this is something that your pro can help you with. Um, you know, during your lesson, you can talk about these are discussions you should be having about them, and you can kind of do a comparison. I mean, what's really great now in the industry, and especially with the wonderful world of the Internet, is you can go in and there's so many um, organizations that are doing comparison between the manufacturers and the different types of golf balls that you can see how it performs um, and in right. and, and, and certain tests and things like that. And, and obviously, you've got to be careful of that too, but you get a general overview and understanding of what each of the balls are doing. And, and again, you know, maybe you can experiment a little bit and, and try a couple of different types um, and see which works best for you. But I think it's important that you take that into consideration because, again, if you're playing the wrong golf ball and if you're not uh, playing the right grips and you haven't selected the right clubs for your game, uh, that can be the difference of being a 25 handicap and maybe even a 15 handicap. It's not all about technique or skill level. Sometimes it's just what you're playing with uh, and how you're, you're managing yourself out in the golf course can make a world of difference. Brandon, I'm going to come back to you, and this is another uh, question I want to talk to you a little bit about, and that is the short game, uh, particularly putting. Um, I think you might have some tips. Uh, you know, we see all kinds of different putting stances out there. Um, some people get real wide. Some people get real narrow. Some people hunch over. Um, Again, I know there's a certain personal preference here, but there are some general understandings of, of uh, how we address the ball when we're putting as opposed to how we do when we're hitting uh, our longer shots. Maybe you could give us a few tips on uh, improving our putting stance and how we address uh, the ball on the green that maybe might help people sink a few more birdies in the next round. What are your thoughts, Brandon? Yeah, so... Um I'm, I'm, I call it the five lines of putting, right? And, and so I'm, I am a teacher that believes um, that there is a lot more science and a lot less art in putting than what most people want to think. Um, if, if you sat on a putting green at your typical club on a Saturday afternoon and watched Jimmy give Johnny a lesson, um, if I had a nickel for every time I heard somebody say, well, you know, it, it's just whatever feels good, you know, just just, just do that. And that makes me laugh because if we said that about the full swing, none of us would have jobs, right? Um, yeah. There are some fundamentals that have to be in place, um, you know, that, that I think gives your, gives your body the best chance to allow the putter head to sort of swing um, in as natural of arc as it was sort of built to swing in. Um, and without getting too technical, you've got to get your eyes over the golf ball. Um, you've got to get your – chest hanging out, I'll call it your shoulders and elbows hanging in front of your knees. 
Um, that usually requires the weight to be a lot more on the toes and the knees to be a lot straighter than most people are comfortable with. Uh, you've got to get the putter shaft in the palms of your hands. Very different. We talked earlier in the show about the grip being in the fingers with the full swing. There, it's not in the fingers in putting. It, it needs to be in the palms because you want the putter shaft and your forearms to kind of be in line. Um, I think you've got to do that. Your arms have got to be a little bit bent. Uh, you know, the, the, the line that I draw, if you're looking kind of down the line, it, your your hands are hanging right under your shoulders. If you think about that, your elbows kind of have to be bent for that to happen. Um, you know, and, and then if you if you think about looking at somebody, um, you know, from 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 what we would call face on, but if you were looking at their chest um, at a dress, the putter shaft should sort of be straight up and down. I can handle it being a little bit leaned forward, but I wouldn't want it leaned backward. Uh, and so that, that's a it's hard to describe the five lines in the in the in the putter book. There's actually a page um, where I took a picture and I drew five lines and numbered the five lines, you know, in the picture. And so um, th- those things get your body in a place um, that have that provides room under your chest for your arms to swing and tilts your your torso over. Um, in a way that allows you to kind of tilt your shoulders and the putter to kind of swing naturally. And so that's about as untechnical as I can discuss a few technical things. <laughs> but I do believe that there are certain aspects of the putting stroke um, that if it doesn't matter who you look at that is a good putter, they all have them. Um, Stan's mm-hmm. width is not one of them. Um, and so there are some areas where you can have some freedom, but I don't. I think there are some areas where you don't. You really shouldn't have a lot of freedom. Um, and and so I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of how I view yep. it. Yeah, and, and I think you know. Again, as far as stance is concerned, obviously there may be situations if you're playing in a windy day, you might want to have that stance a little bit wider just for stability purposes. But again, you know, we look at somebody like a Jack Nicholas who had a very open uh, stance. Uh, again, did all the things correctly, but he opened his his body up a little bit so he had a better view of the line uh but he still managed to do the things he needed to do and that was why he won uh, 18 majors uh and you know one other thing brent, brent i just want to follow up uh on on putting because i think this is something that a lot of people uh, have heard so many different theories and that on putting and that is um you know we've always heard of <coughs> excuse me this uh <coughs> pardon me uh, a more pendulum stroke where the club head is going straight back and straight through uh, particularly for shorter putts, but when we uh, maybe have a longer putt, um, there's been some that, that have talked about where the, the putter head actually kind of comes in on the backswing a little bit, and then on the follow-through kind of uh, comes in a little bit as well. Um, let's clarify that up a little bit. Um, is it more of a pendulum swing regardless of the length of the putt, or does the putter head uh, tend to work in and then in again on the backswing and in the uh, forward swing uh, on longer putts. Maybe you could touch on that, uh, or does it matter? Uh, well, I don't. I, I, yes, it matters, and no, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so let me let me see if I can explain. I, look, all putters are built with lie angle. It's actually illegal according to the rules of golf to build a club with no lie angle. So all putters have a putter head and a putter shaft that don't intersect at a ninety degree angle. So all putters will swing with some arc unless you mm-hmm. actively 
manipulate said putter to make it not swing in an arc. Um, now, are there people out there that do that? Sure. You see them every day. Uh, should they do that? No, I don't believe they should. Um, now, now, the phenomenon you're talking about is as you swing the putter longer, it will naturally arc more, not because mm-hmm. we do something different, just because the dynamics of, of moving something on an angled plane mean that the putter will move inside the further it moves back um, and, and reverse on the other side. And then it, on the way down, it moves back out to where it was, and then as it swings through, it will start to move back inside again. And so, you know, the only time it's really moving in a straight line, and I, and I emphasize, I'm, gonna, I'm doing air quotes right now when I say straight, because if you, if you had a piece of equipment that could measure it closely enough, you'd find out it's really not moving straight. But the only place it looks like it's moving straight is for an area that's about the width of three golf balls at the very bottom of the arc. That happens to be where we tend to hit the ball, or I hope it is, right? Um, anytime mm-hmm. it moves outside, uh, you know, a width of about three balls, then it's going to start arcing a little. And the more it swings, the more we'll see that arc, or I should say should see that arc. So anybody that's out there that, that says, I swing the putter straight back and straight through, that, then I would uh, – my argument to that would be then if that's what you're doing, then you're actively manipulating the swing of the arc in a way that neither the putter nor your body really want – nor physics, for that matter – really wants it to swing, generally I wouldn't advise doing that. Um, Now, I'll say all that to kind of end that comment with this. At the end of the day, the shape of your stroke is not the real skill. The skill is starting the ball on your intended line. Mm -hmm. If you manipulate the putter and get it to roll where you want it to roll, then you might be able to get away with that. And there's an argument right. to be made that, that manipulating the putter makes it more challenging to control your line, and it would be easier if you just let the putter swing more free. But, but, but the shape of the stroke is not the skill. Starting the ball online is a skill. It's just that allowing the putter to swing in a more naturally, you know, geometric and, 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 and laws of physics kind of natural way generally provides you a better opportunity to make the ball roll straight. Uh, but putters aren't built to swing in straight lines. Now, I, I, I'll, I'll add this last part, and then I promise I'll be quiet. People talk about the pendulum. <laughs> putters are not pendulums, right? But mm-hmm. if you looked at someone kind of at their chest, if you were standing in front of them and looking at their chest, the putter from that angle sort of looks like a pendulum, right? It kind of swings the same length behind the ball as it does on the other side of the ball, and there are some things that that look like a pendulum would be swinging, and some of those ideas aren't bad ideas to have, but putters are not really pendulums. Um, They just sort of look like it from certain views. Now, you hear that a lot, and I've even said that sometimes because that provides people a good image, but we don't swing in straight lines in golf. We stand to the side of the golf ball, and from a, a, mm-hmm. a, a laws of physics and a geometric standpoint, that just doesn't add up. I couldn't agree more. Well said. 
Well, guys, it's hard to believe, but it was probably one of the fastest hours I think we've ever had in Coach's Corner. It just seemed to zip by. So I'm going to give uh, each of you just a, a quick moment, uh, if you would, uh, to let the folks know if they want to reach out. And I want to thank all of you for doing a great job on the discussions tonight. I think you all hit it right on the head. Jamie, I'm going to start with you uh, since we just finished with Brandon, uh, then Pete, and then Brandon, I'll let you uh, um, let the folks know if they want to reach out. But uh, again, thank you all for for doing such a fantastic job as always on Coach's Corner. So Jamie, go ahead. Best to find me at Jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at kiaigolf.com, my website, um, and my phone number, which I actually reply to phone calls and, and texts and things, is 760-492-4653. For international folks, just add a plus one, and you'll find me on WhatsApp, Jamie uh, Zimron. And um, as, as I said, I, I really do enjoy talking with people. I do a lot of virtual lessons. I do golf mastery schools. I travel quite a bit and um, give, you know, just all kinds of lessons. And um, I also do a lot of work in the business and golf sector and with women in golf. So um, please reach out to me. Thank you very much, Ted, and thanks, everybody. It was a great discussion. Thanks. Uh, Pete, go ahead. Thanks again, Ted, for having me on. And, and Jamie and Brian, it's always great talking with you. They can reach me at PeteBuchananGolf.com. All my contact information is out there. Um, I'm doing a lot of virtual stuff now, so I can reach anybody anywhere. So, you know, don't hesitate to just uh, send me a note. Let's start a discussion and talk about your golf game and move on from there. So, PeteBuchananGolf.com. Perfect. And uh, finally, Brandon, uh, how can the folks best reach out for you? Yeah, Ted, you know, it's always a pleasure. Um, Jamie, Pete, you know, it's always great to, to be with you guys and, and hear other coaches and their perspectives. So thank you for that. Everything I have out in the in the world is under uh, Stoopsbury Golf. Um, it's kind of a funny last name, but once you figure it out, uh, you can find me pretty easy. Um, it's S-T-O-O-K-S-B-U-R-Y. If you forget that, uh, you can just go to bsgolf.com, and nobody laugh at that, right? That happens to be my first and last initial. Um, nothing nefarious going on there when I say BS Golf. But, uh, but everything's out there, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, website, uh, you know, happy to talk to folks. Just reach out to me via my website or, or one of my social media channels. And uh, I don't put up new content as, as often as I should, but try to do it as, as, uh, as often as I can. And so um, always, always happy to have a conversation. All right. Well, guys, again, thank you very much, as always, for joining me on uh, the Coach's Corner panel. And I think I will see all of you again one more time next month before we close out another successful season here on uh, Golf Talk Live. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Thank Ted. you very much, everybody. Thanks, Bye-bye. All right. That was uh, the gang on Coach's Corner. Uh, we're going to take a very quick break uh, to listen to uh, some messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with this evening's uh, very special guest. This edition of Golf Talk Live is brought to you by Golf Pal. The best place to find only the finest, in golf training aids and accessories. Get in on some great deals on leading products such as Down Under Board, Rough Soto, Golf Slingshot and more. Visit GolfPal.Golf today. And don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter. GolfPal. We're serious about your game. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. 
It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple to follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today. All right, I'm very excited to be joined by my special guest this evening, Taylor Herber. He is the Vice President of Sales for Blue Tees Golf uh, and uh, a rapidly growing producer of golf rangefinders and accessories. Uh, he is a golf industry veteran with over 15 years of experience. His reputation to grow companies, exceed sales goals, and manage large teams to achieve multi-million dollar uh, gains makes him the ideal Vice President of Sales for Blue Tees Golf. Uh, he joined the company in December of 2020. Prior to uh, joining Blue Tees uh, Golf, uh, he founded the H2 Golf Company, the industry's all-inclusive source for tees, spikes, towels, and accessories designed exclusively for PGA professionals on public golf courses and, of course, uh, private country clubs. Uh, he also maintains extensive relationships with large buying uh, groups and golf course management companies. The family-owned business in Temecula, California also accommodates and caters to greengrass facilities with their signature display racks. Uh, Herber remains the CEO of H2 Sales. Uh, please welcome my very special guest, Taylor Herber. Uh, Good evening, Taylor. How are you? I'm uh, doing pleasure. Thank you. For... How are you doing? I'm doing great. So let's talk a little bit. Um, I've obviously read a few things out on your bio, but Let's talk about what got you into the game. I always like to do that with a guest that's never been on with me before. Give me an idea of what attracted you to golf. When did you first start playing? And a little bit about your journey uh, from where you first started to where you are today. Yeah, um, my, my path, I, I think some would say, was maybe chosen for me initially. Um, my, my father was in the golf business um, with tailor-made when the when the metal wood first came out um i i think my my one-year-old or two-year-old baby picture has me next to a um you know little tailor-made den caddy with a miniature golf club in my hand um and so that's that's kind of how i got started in the golf business i i grew up in it and then um from there worked at you know multiple different companies but you know, I've enjoyed playing the game throughout, you know, throughout my early, I really didn't get into golf, playing golf until probably almost, you know, early high school age and played on the high school team a little bit, um, but have been around the industry for a really long time. You know, it, it's interesting when I, and, and the reason why I asked that is it's always interesting to see and hear the diversity of how people got into the game. Uh, many people, I, much like yourself, I was, uh, you know, my father didn't work in the golf business, but he was a very good golfer, and he introduced me to the game uh, when I was very, very young, like yourself. Uh, it got a little bit more serious, if uh, for lack of better words, when I turned seven. But uh, you know, when I was two or three, he took me up to the range and with a cut-down uh, club, and uh, you know, away I went and swung a few shots and probably played in the sand a little bit and did some other things. But he introduced me to the game, and you know, here I am, uh, uh, many years later, uh, you know, as a teacher professional and and uh, doing these shows and things. But um, it, it's always interesting to hear some of the diversity of how people uh, got into the game, what attracted them to the game, 
Uh, some went on to become players in various different levels of the game. Others moved into uh, other parts of the industry like yourself. So you mentioned that you've worked for uh, a number of different companies. Um, what attracted you to Blue Tees Golf? What was it about their um, mo- business model, if you will, and what they were looking at doing um, in with the you know with their products? We'll talk about the products here in a moment. But uh, what specifically was it about their uh, business that really appealed to you uh, in in your sense of uh, of understanding of the game? Yeah, you know I. So I, I ran into Blue Tees um, like like many people have through through their social media accounts, their unbelievable online marketing, et cetera. And I was I was kind of at the point in my career where I was I was ready to get out of golf and go do something different. This is prior to COVID, and you know I, mm-hmm. I continued to look at look at my golf life and go. You know I had a fantastic time, um, but financially I continued to look at it and I'm like, gosh, do I want to keep doing this? Um, and then, and then, um, unfortunately, and then fortunately, in some other aspects, COVID happens and it changes mm-hmm. the golf industry. And um, felt felt a lot like I, I was with a company called La Jolla Club Golf Company, which we were the number one junior golf club company in the world. That was one of my um, my father actually started that business and was kind of my first job in golf outside of working at a driving range and things. And I got to watch that company just explode during the during the tiger boom and throughout that price process and um it kind of felt the same you know i I started started seeing other companies and so i started a a little bit of a consulting firm and started working with you know five six seven brands and um i reached out to blue tees and i said you know i'd love to help you guys get into you know B2B, green grass retail, um, you know, talk to mm-hmm. some of my larger accounts like the Dick Sporting Goods of the World and see if it's something they'd be interested in. So they hired me on a consulting basis in um, September of last year. And, um, you know, the rest is kind of history since then. We, we, the brand has really grown since that point in time. But what really attracted me was kind of the the young feeling of the brand it felt like um Mm -hmm. i'm I'm 38 years old so it it catered to me i felt like i felt like it was speaking to me i felt like it was speaking to my buddies that play golf um i know a lot about the rangefinder and electronic space um very familiar with gps have worked with multiple companies in that aspect and i just i looked at their designs i looked at what they were trying to accomplish and i said i i think they have something here and and so from there, as I said, I, I was consulting with them and then started full-time in January, um, you know, at, at the new year, basically. And it's just been a, a whirlwind since then. Really, really fun. Yeah, and I want to touch on a point that, that you alluded to uh, a few moments ago, and that is about the industry. Uh, it is, you know, there has been pros and cons, uh, unfortunately, uh, some cons uh, with, with the pandemic, uh, as we all are aware of. Um, but for the golf industry, it has really been a, a, a well-needed uh, booster shot in the arm. Um, you know, uh, unfortunately, it's piggybacked onto a, a pandemic. But, you know, golf was really, in a lot of ways, uh, I feel, kind of stagnant. Um, you know, there wasn't as much new growth as uh, certainly in some areas there were, but in other areas there's not. There were a lot of people getting out of the game for one reason or another, and, you know, we all kind of got forced to move back out in the golf course uh, just to get out of the house. And, you know, we kind of all got tired of watching Netflix and, 
Amazon Prime and that for several months while we were cooped up inside. So it was good to get out and, and, and have something to be able to do. So there were a lot of new people coming in. And there's a lot of young people that have become drawn to the game. And not your typical, and, and I know you fall into the millennial crowd. I'm uh, a little uh, little above you. I'm about 20 years older than you. So uh, I'm in the generation that, that hit before you. But um, a lot of the, the younger generation is very tech-savvy, very interested in the technology and how it can help improve their experience. Um, and one of the interesting things I was reading about as I was preparing for tonight about Blue Tees and kind of a journey that you and, and some of your friends obviously love the game of golf. Um, you've seen a lot of range finders, a lot of GPS products out there, um, but many of them were very, very expensive. Tell us a little bit about when you came across Blue Tees what was refreshing about it, um, not just so much the brand, but some of the products uh, that they have to offer. What was it that really spoke to you about the products? Um, I've used it, so I know they're, they're very, very good. Uh, but give us a, an overview of, of your, you and your friends uh, as you were sort of testing things out. Uh, what, was, what really stood out to you? So the, the company was originally started by, by five friends, Three of them were out on the golf course. They, they purchased some units off of Amazon. Um, you know, they wanted to, wanted to either get a GPS or a rangefinder, so they tested both and tried them. Um, a, a lot of what they purchased were, were things coming direct from China and, um, you know, somebody mm. slapping a name on, on something and the eyepiece would fall off or, or just the optics were terrible or it wouldn't lock onto things. And they're like, wow, this is, this is, this is not good. Um, luckily we bought it through Amazon so we can send everything back, but, um, they, they, they were all looking for something different. They, they all due to the pandemic were playing a lot of golf and they said, I think we can do this. And, and so that rolls into obviously conceptually, anybody can say that they have that idea, but fortunately amongst that group of friends, they all had a bunch of different skill sets. One of them was an industrial designer. The other you know, had started a very successful apparel business and um, had uh, some strong business background and banking background. And then the other had a really strong sales and marketing background. And then kind of the main key to the puzzle starting off is one of their friends was one of the top, you know, direct-to-consumer marketing consultants in the entire nation. And so it's like, we have all these skill sets, you know, can we bring this to market? And then from there, what I saw is the first thing I saw was the design. I, I saw, I, as I said, I actually had my, my, my father and I, we had our own range finder that we stuck our name on the side of and had sold for, for a few years through a couple direct-to-consumer ventures that we had. And um, we ran into some of the same problems, you know, in the sense of quality control and everything else. Just putting your name on something doesn't mean that it's going to be good. Um, and, mm -hmm. and so, you know, I looked at the design aspect of this and I said, wow, They've got something there. Whoever they have doing this is very talented. Um, I, I received the product. I ordered one. I opened the packaging. The unboxing experience was just incredible. I felt like I was, you know, I'm an, I'm an iPhone guy, so I felt like I was getting an iPhone, you know, and I said, they're, they're right. on something with this. And so that's what first caught my eye. And then I started looking at their marketing and, their, and who they were targeting. And obviously they were, they were hitting a, a young male demographic initially, that's mm -hmm. who they who they targeted, and I saw all the people commenting and liking and and interacting with their brand, and it was exciting. It was different. It was um, it wasn't your stuffy 
brand feel that I, you know, I, I that's that's what I feel people don't enjoy a lot of times about golf is is the stuffier, the elitist feel. Um, obviously, there's mm-hmm. a place for that in some aspects, but but not. I feel that's not what the new golfer wants. Um, you know, they, they want it to be inclusive and fun and be able to get through a round in a decent time period. And, and so I felt like that's what Blue Tees was all about. And I got that all from looking at their social media. Yeah, and you're, you're exactly right. And, again, you hit on another point. Um, you know, the generation, and I'm using your generation as the example um, you know, you've surpassed the baby boomer in population, um, and I'm just going to throw a few numbers out here just to give you a general idea, but the baby boomer is roughly around 70 million here in the United States. Uh, the millennials now have capped out um, for the time being at 72 million, so there are a couple of million more, so they're pretty c- comparable. But you're right, I think the new generation coming in is looking at golf uh, unlike the traditional country club sort of theme or feel, if you will, that's not really something that they're as interested in. That doesn't mean that some don't belong or some don't uh, partake in that, but that's not really. It's all about more entertainment, more fun. You know, the five- and six-hour golf rounds is not something they're really interested in. They're looking at, you know, having have a good time, but uh, time is more important to them than the game itself, so they want to make sure that they're utilizing their time. And if technology can help them do that uh, in a fun way, in creative way, then they're all for that. And you're exactly right. So, um, you know, what, what's interesting about this, and, and I wanted to get you to talk about some of the specifics of the product. Um, first off, let's talk about some of the products that they have to offer. We'll stick with the, with the range finders for the time being. But some of the products that they have to offer um, on the market, the differences, and some of the technology that's in it. Let's go into some of the specifics, what it does, why it does it, and how it's helping the golfers uh, that are using them. Yeah, so a, a rangefinder, a laser rangefinder is, uh, you know, as many people that will be lo- listening to a golf talk show will, will know what they are, but, um, you know, they're, they're a point-and-shoot unit. You're most of the time shooting directly to the flag, getting your exact distance to the flag, um, some of them can give you, you know, include slope and calculate for that as well. Some of them you can turn slope on and off. Obviously, slope's not allowed, or maybe not obviously, slope's not allowed in tournaments. And so um, people mm-hmm. like that aspect as well to have that function. Um, but point-and-shoot units have been around for a long time. Um, they initially started in hunting and military optics and everything else. So it's, it's, it's a very easy unit, self-explanatory to use, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, mm-hmm. I love GPS as well. I think there's a valid point for both of them. I think if you can, having both speeds things up and is, is a great option as well. But when it comes to our products, we, we initially started with um, two very, what I would say kind of your initial basic range finders. We had a slope version and we had a, um, a non-slope version. Both of them were priced very well. Um, you know, one sub just under $200, the other just above $200. And um, so a real palatable price point. And as I said, you know, fantastic design, unboxing experience, all of the above. Um, we, we knew, though, if we wanted to be a serious player in the rangefinder space, that we had to create something that could compete with the big boys. And there's only a couple of mm-hmm. them. And um, they make fantastic products. Um, they They – you know, have been in the industry for a long time. So it was, it was a big thing for us to not just come out with something that was subpar to those items. Um, so 
kind of right. then enters our, our S3 Max unit. Our S3 Max is a slope switch unit. It incorporates basically the, you know, the same high-end optics that you, you would get out of your five $600 rangefinders. Um, it has an internal magnet, which everybody loves. You can clip it to your cart or, you know, any of your magnetic homes that you may have. Um, it'll, you can pick it up with your golf club. So that's a great function. Um, it also, you know, it locks onto the target extremely quick. So it processes much quicker. Um, it, you know, stabilizes. So if you have shakier hands, it's easier to shoot with than our other units. Um, so every kind of high-end aspect went into this product, the guts of this product, and we spent a year engineering that product. From there, it, a, a lot of it comes down to after that is obviously cosmetics. Um, you know, there's mm-hmm. there's fantastic rangefinders out there that are honestly not as attractive as blue tees, and and the the looks, and we feel like people want to express, especially in that age group we were talking about, you know, they, they like to express right. themselves through fashion. You can see it in all of these apparel mm-hmm. companies that are uh, Travis Matthews, the, you know, the G4s. The, I mean, there's uh, endless companies that are coming out right now that are, that are changing how people look on the golf course. And Blue Tees is one of those companies with, with our color variations and the looks of the product. Yeah, and 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 I, and I agree. I think that's uh, again equally important. I think you have to come out with a style and a design that's um, appealing to a different generation. You know, it's the same thing with equipment and apparel as you you talk about. Um, you know, each generation is going to look at at uh, at the game a little bit differently, and there's going to be things that are going to be appealing to maybe someone like yourself that might be different than let's say. Um, you know, somebody in their 60s or, or beyond, um, even somebody in their 50s like myself, um, you know, you might have certain things. Now, obviously, being in the business, I get to see a lot of the same things that you're seeing. So I get and understand some of the advantages. And, and one of the really cool things I get to see uh, before the consumers get to see a lot of the new technology that comes out and the looks that are coming out. So it's very, very important. I agree that... Um, you know, people want to be, they, they want to make it, it's, it's like an accessory in, in a lot of ways uh, with the style of it and that. So what are some of the, the, the features? Now, you've obviously used the product in that. What, um, of some of the features that you've mentioned, what really stood out to you when you first tried it? Uh, and you've used other products, I know for sure. Um, but what were some of the products specifically or some of the features in this product that really stuck, uh, stood out to you that you found uh, benefited you as a, as a general uh, overview? Yeah, I, and, and knowing, knowing some of the you know, intricacies of rangefinders and the technology that goes into them, um, one area that you'll find with price point rangefinders, and I didn't really touch on that, Ted. I, I kind of I talked about how great the technology and how we're making it like a, a five, four, five, six hundred dollar rangefinder that's out there. What I didn't mention is our Blue Tees S3 Max unit sells for two hundred and sixty dollars, and so it's it's mm-hmm. near half the price of our of the number one selling rangefinder in the world. And so that aspect of it is obviously the price point is important. Um, that's part of our success we're not we're not blind to that um but when i mm-hmm. when i first took the s3 max out of its packaging the initial just the unboxing experience kind of blows you away and so okay already in the back of my head I, i'm thinking okay this is quality i may not be saying that but just subliminally i know that mm-hmm. you know this is a quality product 
And then I pulled it out, yep. and, you know, obviously we saw prototypes and we tested and everything else, but but when I was able to look through the the lens of our product, and, I mean, the, it has crystal clear optics. That was the first thing that jumped out to me. And that's where if you're going if you're going to skimp on a rangefinder, that's where people skimp. They 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 skimp on the optics. They don't go to the high resolution because it's it's one of the more expensive aspects of the product. Um, and then you know the other the other part of it that I think is pretty cool about the Series Three Max, which um, is is something that you know not a ton of rangefinders have out there. We have this little system in there um, or a feature called Auto Ambient. And so if you're mm-hmm. playing on like a dusk day or it's it's not really sunny mm-hmm. out and a lot of times when you're when the display is black, it's hard to see when it's kind of dark outside. Right. And so um our display actually automatically will turn turn red. Um and then the red will kind of dim as it gets um it, the red will get darker and darker as it gets lighter and lighter and eventually it'll become black when, you know, it's very bright outside and extremely clear. So it helps with seeing. And obviously, if you're using an optics device, you want to be able to see. And then the stabilization and, you know, if you've got shaky hands, which, I mean, many age groups, people have shaky hands. And so, um, sure. you know, it's something that that can be a negative for a rangefinder compared to a GPS. And so that's something else. The product is, it's very easy to point and shoot. So, that's 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 what you want to make. You want to make a you know crystal clear, easy to point and shoot product, and and this accomplishes that. Yeah, and 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 again, it's at a very uh, a good price point too, because this is something, you know, that I see with a lot of, um, you know, even with some of the the older golfers out there, that it's not an issue of of, you know being or not being more technically savvy, they look at it and they say, well, you know what, do I want to spend five, you know, or even $600 on a rangefinder? Um, this is a, this is an option that's giving them as good a quality rangefinder, literally at half or even less than half the price. Um, but they're still getting the same, many of the same features and, and more in, in some cases than some of the top, um, you know, rangefinders out on the market. And so it, 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 that price point with the benefit of having so many high quality features um, can be the difference in swaying somebody to make that purchase decision. Um, whereas if they're looking at a, you know, a pretty big hit in the wallet, then, you know, they're going to either sit on the fence a little bit longer or dismiss it altogether and say, well, this isn't for me. So again, they've really, uh, I think done a, a superb job and, I, and I've seen some of the social media as well of really marketing it out there. And I know that they do have a, a specific demographic that they've been shooting for, certainly in the earlier days. Um, but I, I think they're going to find that it's going to expand into other demographics that maybe they hadn't counted on just because they have come in with a great product at such a reasonable price uh, out in the market. And I think that's obviously something that's gotten you very excited about as well, correct? Definitely, definitely. And you know what I, I always think of, um, when I when I think of the price point of the product, and then I look at some of our competitors, I think of my grandfather a lot of times. He's a great golfer, mm-hmm. always dressed to the nines, you know. But he retired, and his goal was to play golf a lot, you know. So he he joined a men's club at a, at his local city course, and he played there, you know, on a weekly basis. Like I mean, multiple times a week. He loved golf, and he was a great golfer. And um, but he was on a fixed budget, and so he had he had his retirement, and he had but. He didn't have, you know, the the exorbitant amount of money to go buy the highest end of all high end. And so 
I look at an item like this and I go, this is right up Grandpa's alley. You know, this is this is the perfect right. product for him. It's stylish. He loves to dress perfectly. I don't know. He he loved to look country club, but but not necessarily be at the country club. And um, you know, this item gives people the opportunity to do that, and they're getting a great value with the product. But as you said, we're 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 starting to work on our target demographic as well because we when we first came in it was okay we're going after millennials and young males and everything else that was the quick ticket to get in and kind of get the brand going um but now we realize that there's a lot of walks of life that are buying our product there's you know men women you know we i just i just look at the orders when they come in through our e-commerce site and when i talk to our b2b customers and our larger customers and they're like we're, we're shocked at all the different types of people that are buying these products. Um, and so mm-hmm. I, I think as a company, we're definitely going to transcend that just kind of little niche that we initially had and, and start targeting our marketing in different areas and, and looking at junior golf and, you know, making things accessible to, to other markets as well. So we're, we're excited to do that. It's a big part of our game plan for next year. Yeah, and there's always things, you know, as technology advances, there's always things that you can add and, and shift and make difference. Um, but to, to get the feedback that you're getting, um, you know, from the product now uh, helps you make those decisions. And again, you're, you're opening, again, your original vision uh, at Blue Tees might have been one thing, but it's morphing into something different uh, and even bigger um, as people become more aware of it and that. I also noticed, too, that they have a um, uh, magnetic strap uh, available in, as one of their products. Maybe you can just sort of uh, tell everybody what that's for. Yeah, so the magnetic strap, um, there, there's some other products on the market similar, um, but some of them, you know, some of them cover the buttons. They, they just don't work with every type of rangefinder. The strap, um, I would say, works for 99% of rangefinders that are out there. If, if you don't have a rangefinder that has a built-in magnet like our F3 Max, um, you know, which there's a ton of rangefinders out there that don't have the built-in magnet, um, the, the strap works perfectly for that. It wraps around, looks very similar to a watch band. Um, it was an mm-hmm. innovative idea by our designer, um, and um, we, we not only sell a bunch of those just as an accessory along with our, our S2 products, which don't have the internal magnets, but... It's become kind of like a golf tournament favorite. We logo it. Um, that's one thing we do as well with our rangefinders. We we do a lot of logoing with the rangefinders, a lot of tournaments. Um, you know, so there's especially with tournaments coming back, there's a lot of um, a lot of people utilizing our rangefinders as a tournament gift. And so that's been kind of an exciting mm-hmm. part of the business as well. You get this massive full field of people out there utilizing your product, and it's pretty a pretty cool thing to see. Now, you mentioned earlier on, um, you know, that, uh, again, uh, uh, sort of that younger male um, was initially the target. And, you know, again, it's morphed into some other areas. Are you starting to notice a a trend as more and more young female golfers come into the market? Are you starting to see uh, many of them take an interest in the product and and obviously technology in general? But uh, are you starting to see some women uh, taking note of, of the Blue Tees uh, range fighter as well. Yeah, you know, we, we looked at, um, obviously, our, our mailing list as a company has been heavy male-driven initially, but we did start sure. to see, um, you know, a lot of females purchasing product on our, on our website, and then, you know, we'd kind of reach out to customers and, um, you know, seeing if they were buying them for their husbands or boyfriends or if they are buying them for themselves. 
And we offer a really strong, like, personal use discount as well to um, a lot of the golf courses we work with because we want as many staff members using our product as possible. It, it's fantastic. If, if they love it, they can present it to their customers really well and actually recommend sure. the product. Um, and so we do a lot of that, and I'm just amazed at how many female golfers as well you know, want to jump in on that PUD and utilize it. And so um, that was something that definitely was in the back of our mind that, you know, we knew that um, there's a lot of women joining the game of golf um, at a really rapid rate right now. Um, and so how do, how do we, you know, target that market? How do we do it in the right way? Um, how do we do it without, you know, just pandering, you know? And so where, where we have kind of come along with that is in our F3 Max unit, we launched two additional colors. Nothing technologically, more of a, more of a fashion statement. And, you know, our, our Navy unit coming out with a Navy rangefinder, nobody had ever really done it before. It, it went along right. with our Blue Tees name, obviously, and so that's why we started that way. Um, we, we launched a black unit or a matte black unit just recently. Um, that product's just it's done fantastic. Um, and so that one's a really fun one. And then um, during that same launch with the black, we launched a pink unit. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's a real soft pink. Um, so it's not like your bright, hot pink, loud range finder. Right. It's really, really more of a fashion piece. And then the metal ring on the front of it is a rose gold, um, you know, look to it. And, and so, it, it's really the, the case goes along with it. The, um, the microfiber that's in it to be able to clean the lens is a real soft pink. So just the entire presentation is amazing, really feminine feeling in, in, in my opinion. But then we've got a bunch of fashion forward guys that are buying that product as well, guys that like to wear pink. And um, so it's, it's right. kind of interesting who's going for that one. But I do think that, um, you know, that product, we, we've been getting it into a lot of retailers. It's available at Dick's and Galaxy and Superstores and in a lot of golf shops as well now. And we're seeing, you know, that product's doing much better than I could have ever anticipated. It's, it's really gaining steam. So that's an exciting one as well. What's been some of the feedback from some customers that you've gotten? I know that you've got some things up on the website and that, but what generally has been – uh, some of the feedback uh, and comments that you guys have received um, over the last, you know, uh, you know, year or so uh, since these products have been on market. I I think the the first thing I think people have the initial reaction that I did when I first saw the brand. I they they think it's a beautiful product. They think that the cosmetics mm -hmm. of it are fantastic. The unboxing experience when they get it, you know, you look at people that, right. you know, post stuff online and they're like, oh my gosh, I get three batteries with this. You know, the microfiber cloth right. has their logo on it. You know, <laughs> they, they pay attention right. to all the details, you know, and, and I, I think that's great. And then they use the unit. And, and a lot of people, because of the price point, they go in with the mindset you know, we, we, we made them feel good about it with the packaging, but there's still that little inkling in the back of their mind that, you know, this isn't a big brand. This is a new brand. This is, this, there, there's got to be a reason it's $260. And then they go take it out, and their buddy has one of our competitors' rangefinders, and they're getting the exact same distance. Um, and, and then by the end of it, their buddy's like, well, yours, yours is a little cooler looking than mine as well. So, you know, where do I get that thing? You know, that type of thing. So right. um, that's that's kind of I, I see the same thing over and over in the sense of the response. People love the cosmetics, and then they roll into the technology and the usage portion of the product, and it meets their expectations or exceeds their expectations. And that's I, I think 
all of those points are the best possible response we could get from people. Yeah, and, and that's what you want. You you know, the visual component is is huge. Uh, it's the same thing if you're you know buying golf clubs or or something else. Uh, people uh, visually have to accept the look of the club or what have you. And in this case, you know, the rangefinder. If if it's aesthetically appealing to somebody, um, then that's you know part of the battle right there. And then obviously the price is another one. Uh, but functionality. I mean, you know, it's great. It's only you know two hundred and sixty dollars. But like you said, if you get it home and it's not really performing and, you know, yeah, somebody's got a $500 one and theirs is outperforming it like crazy, you know, to be able to say, hey, we can stand up with the big boys uh, that have been out in the market for many years, um, and, but we're, we're much better, uh, you know, our price is, is pointed much better uh, than what they are for the same uh, quality of technology that says something. I want to ask you something uh, as far as uh, products on the market. We're seeing um, you know, a lot of companies, a lot of your competitors are now coming out with a, a watch version very similar to a smart watch with a lot of that same technology in there to be able to get the GPS and, and so on and so forth. Is this something that Blue Tees, uh, without giving away too much uh, um, yeah. you know, information, is this something that you guys are looking at adding to your product line um, or are there other things that you have noticed that, you know, uh, golfers have reached out and said, Hey, we would really love this. Uh, are you guys working on anything like that that may be coming down the pike or is that a, uh, a secret for the moment? You know what? Not, not a secret necessarily in the sense of, of GPS in general. Um, you know, the industry is split kind of right down the middle, half, half GPS, uh, range finder, and then you've got your people that buy both and utilize both technologies. Um, are we opposed to looking at the GPS market? No, it's probably it's probably a natural progression that we may look at in the future. Um, I can tell you that, you know, I, I, I kind of um, talked about this earlier, but you know, Blue Tees is run by a bunch of a bunch of young guys and and, and gals, and, and the company's growing really fast, and we're bringing in a lot of creative people and. Um, you know, we're, we're not pigeonhole, pigeonholing ourselves in one area. And we, we think that we can do some really great innovative things in the, in the golf business, the sporting goods business. Um, we, we think there's a lot of opportunity out there for blue tees. Right now we're focused on range finders. We do have some new products that are launching in the spring. Um, we have a Bluetooth speaker, um, no GPS included, mm-hmm. just a, a fun, a fun speaker that will be fantastic for golf. Um, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's amazing how many people are utilizing music on the course and Bluetooth speakers yep. to watch the football game while they're going. They're multitasking while they're playing, and I know some people don't like that, right. but even for myself, <laughs> I'm, I'm a diehard Kansas City Chiefs fan, and if I'm right. going to play golf on Sunday, I'm going to have my game on. Um, you know, otherwise right. I won't go out to the course. I kind of have a, another passion, you know, and so I think mixing those things is really important and giving people the opportunity. If we want to keep growing the game, we can't deter people from showing up. And so um, well, I think, you know, like this, the, the speaker's inclusive. I think it's fun. So that's what our brand's all about. Yeah, and, and again, you touch on a great point, um, as I said earlier. You know, there's nothing wrong with the traditional country club feeling. There's those that, that still uh, ascribe to that. Um, but I think one thing that for a while, and this goes to what I said earlier, uh, you know, as tragic as the, the pandemic uh, was, um, it did a lot of good for the game of golf, um, not just bringing 
more people back out onto the golf course, but a lot of people that had never experienced golf before and really knew nothing about it other than what they've seen, uh, you know, uh, an event or something on TV, and many of them didn't even watch that. And it's gotten them to think, and you're seeing a lot of innovation, a lot of new, not just technology, but a lot of new ways of approaching. And I think what your generation brings to the game, which has been long overdue, is a sense of returning um, the word fun to golf. I think for a long time, golf uh, stuck to the traditional ways, very serious. And again, there's nothing wrong with playing a more traditional route. But I think what your generation and, and even the, the next generation is bringing is a sense of fun to the game. And, and you know, whether it be through these new speakers and, and other uh, products that may come uh, in future apps, that sort of thing, I think it's allowed people to get out there and say, hey, yeah, it's a game and I want to improve and I want to be better. But, you know, gosh darn, if I'm going to be out here for four hours, I want to have some fun while I'm here as well. And you can do it in such a way that's not disruptive. Um, you know, it's not like you're, you know, putting a 500 watt speaker on your golf cart. Right. Um, that's right. a little bit excessive or a 65 inch plasma TV attached to the back so you can watch the game. But you are adding some accessories and, and design and style and things like that. And I think, as you pointed out several times, this is something that your company uh, that uh, you're involved with, Blue uh, Tea, is, uh, is doing. And uh, they're recognizing that it's a growing game and that there's a different dy uh, dynamic to it now than what was maybe 30, 40 years ago. And I think you you hit it right on the head. It's it's a fun, new way of, of approaching a game that's been around for a long time. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I, I think there's some, you know, I, I think there's other trains of thought with this as well is, is if you look at the game and, and we're kind of talking about maybe like two polar opposites, we're talking about stuffy golf and fun golf. I think right. new people right. coming into the game as well, and, 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 and I always enjoy this as well. We, you know, I, I played at nice country clubs, and, and I jo enjoy all the pomp and circumstance that comes along with that. Um, it's, they're, mm -hmm. they're fun, and it's cool to see that and, and the tradition and everything else. But I don't think that the new golfers coming in want to just get rid of all of that. I think they enjoy no. some parts of it as well, and I think they I think that they are kind of, looking at it and they enjoy the game and respect the game, but they, but I mean, obviously there's going to be things on both sides of the spectrum, but I think that a large percentage of these people coming into the game want, want to, to be a part of golf as well and want to have some of that tradition mm -hmm. in, included. And um, I, I see that when I see golfers out playing, you know, people are respectful there, you know, they may not be tucking their shirts in as much as before because it's not required at that course that they're at. But they're still wearing a collared right. shirt. They're still wearing the apparel. Sure. They're, you know, they're they're not wearing. And and you know what? I love playing at a course that I could wear. You know, uh, you know, take my shoes off in in Hawaii and wear my bathing suit at too. I enjoy that that type of a place yep. as well. So there there's a time and place for everything. And I and I think instead of having that negative mindset towards the new people coming in, we all need to be very very thankful that they are coming into the game because if. You know, I may still be a little bit younger in the sense of age, but I, I was in the golf business when we were all yep. looking at each other like, why are we here? <laughs> so, <laughs> right. so this is, you know, but, but now I know now I know why I stayed and now I know why I'm here because Blue Tees is, 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 is a great thing for the game of golf. So it's exciting. 
Yeah, no, and, and again, I couldn't agree more. And, and I think it's, you know, I, I agree with you. I think that there is, a, I'll give you a good example. Uh, recently here locally where I am, they had uh, uh, stage two qualifying for the PGA uh, at one of the local courses here. And, you know, I went out and watched some of these young guys coming up in that, and they're still, um, you know, respecting the tradition. But, you know, you see in their style and a little bit of different flair and, and a lot of different ways uh, of how they approach the game. Uh, but they still obviously still have the same mutual respect for the game as well. But I think it goes back to what I said a few moments ago is I think that, you know, you you have to have other options available. I mean, you know, companies like Topgolf came along and there's others. Uh, Nextlinks is another one that's uh, up and coming uh, that's really very forward thinking in, in their development. And what's happening is you're seeing new opportunities within the golf industry to enjoy the traditions of the game, but also add something new that maybe people had never done before. So it, it, what it's doing is it's actually diversifying the game. It's saying, okay, it's not just this, there's this too, and there's that over there. So it's actually opening the door to a lot of other people that may not um, have had that ex- uh, golfing experience, maybe had an interest, but didn't think it was for them because they thought, well, you know, maybe that's, uh, that, you know, that, you, you got to be got a lot of money to, to do this and or you've got to do that and it's just not the case it, it's changing as so many other industries are and i think for the better and i think again you have to be willing to move forward uh in any industry that you're involved in in order to uh really uh, maintain enjoyment because if you stick on the same path no matter how successful it has over time eventually it, it's going to die out so I think, like you said, a lot of the new things coming out in golf are, are helping to really re-energize the, the industry. And like you said, there's many of us, myself included, there's times when I've thought to myself, you know, gosh, do I want to be here anymore? Um, but then I take a look at what's new and upcoming and some of the things, and it, it, it revitalizes and adds a new excitement to the game. So uh, it's great that you're a part of it. And I, again, you've been around the game for a long time, as you mentioned um, and I think that uh, this particular company here is going to have a very long life, and uh, I'm glad and grateful that you were a part of it. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for the compliments on that. And I, I, I was thinking while you were talking about, you know, just the different changes and everything, I, I was talking to a management group that we got involved with, or a couple of them actually, and I just said, you know, what – what are you guys doing that that's changed, um, you know, since the pandemic and, and, you know, kind of what, what are you guys doing for the future now? And the, the biggest thing I'm hearing, which is really exciting, especially if you live, you know, I, I'm in California and I've been here a long time. Right. So you, we can play golf here. We can play golf here year round. Yeah. And, um, and so it's just, it's just, you know, I, I look at what they were talking to me about. And, and so, Oh, I apologize. I've got a little guy that just snuck in my room here. Yep. Come here. That's okay. Come here, mister. Here, go over here, bud. Come on. The next golfer. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a, that's the work from – we all work from home at Blue Cheese as well. So the work from home culture, I can yeah. be on the biggest phone call of my life, and the three-year-old comes in and says hi. <laughs> and if you lock the door, hey. he will knock it down. So Yeah, um, so but not, it, you know, not a problem. It makes it makes it fun as well. But um, so anyways, we were talking to – I was talking to this management group, and the group, um, they're, they're telling me kind of how they're moving forward with things, but they're, they're all building out simulator rooms and, and finding ways yep. for people to play in the off season. And I just 
love that aspect of golf. I, I love the fact that, you know, when the deep depression, I always call it at the end of the year, the deep depression happens in golf um, and everybody gets cold yeah. and they, they don't, they, their clubs get put away. Um, you know, they, they have an answer for that. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, like you, I'm in Florida, so I get to play all year round too. And, and um, it, you know, it's a lot of fun to be able to do that. And it's always exciting to see uh, some of the folks from the north that come down and uh, take advantage of, as I'm sure out in your neck of the woods, um, to warmer climates and be able to, to do that. It's one of the benefits of being either in California or certainly Florida. Um, but it, it sounds like, you know, there's a lot of uh, excitement at Blue Tees, and it's obviously a, an organization that um, is not only coming out with uh, some great products, but also has a, a business mindset of, you know, let's make this an enjoyable experience. Let's make this fun. Um, you know, let's make it so that people, it's not, I mean, obviously all companies have to earn a living and, and make profit in that, but it's not all about, um, you know, let's see how much profit we can make. Let's make the experience um, enjoyable and the profit takes care of itself. And I think you guys have done a great job um, in, 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 in getting that message out there. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. I, it's, it's it's been a really really fun ride so far, and and I'm excited to see what what the the spring's going to hold in 2022, and mm -hmm. we're gonna we're gonna keep growing this thing. Well, uh, I'm excited for you guys, and I've as I said, I've uh, received the product here uh, a little while ago, and uh, I've been playing with it. I'm going to get out this weekend. Uh, weather permitting and uh, enjoy it a little bit more. But it's uh, from what I've seen experienced so far, again, I, I agree 100% with everything you said this evening. It's a great product. It does do what it says it does, and it is very aesthetically appealing uh, on the eyes. I have the blue, uh, the navy blue version uh, of it, but uh, I've seen the other ones as well. But it, it's definitely a great product, and I'm excited to see uh, what the future holds for you guys and what comes out uh, in spring of 2022. Uh, so I'll, I'll have you back, Taylor. You can come back on another show, and, and as things uh, progress with some of the new products that come out, uh, we can talk about those as well. But I want to thank you for joining me tonight. Uh, much continued success uh, for you and, and the rest of the group at Blue Tees. Um, you guys have done a great job and certainly a, a definite asset uh, to the industry, and I thank you for that, and I appreciate you being my special guest tonight. Oh, thank you so much, Ted. It was my pleasure, and I had a great time. Thank you. Perfect. Have a great evening. Get out there and enjoy, uh, uh, enjoy the weekend if you're playing or just having some fun otherwise, and uh, I'll see you next time here in Golf Talk Live. Thanks, Ted. All right. Take care. All right. That was my very special guest, Taylor Herber, uh, VP of Sales of Blue Tees Golf. And if you want to learn more about their product, uh, you can go to blueteesgolf.com. And I've got some specials going on. You can check them out uh, just in time for Black Friday. They've got some specials listed on their site, but you can get more information there. You can see some of the uh, 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 folks that have used it. There's some good testimonials on there, uh, and it's definitely available at a number of different uh, uh, golf shops and that uh, around the country. Uh, but definitely some great uh, products uh, on there. Check them out. Go to blueteesgolf.com and... Uh, Pick yourself one up. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, again, I want a special thanks to the gang on the Coach's Corner panel, Brandon Stugsbury, uh, Jamie Leno-Zimron, and Pete Buchanan. Thanks, guys, for doing a great job. Uh, and once again, thank you to my very special guest, Taylor Herber. Um, 
VP Sales of Blue Tees Golf. All right, I will be back next week with another great panel and another great guest on Golf Talk Live. I hope you join me. God bless everybody and have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.